Welcome to Seek, Go, Create. This is your host, Tim, coming to you as usual from the passenger seat of Theo, our RV. Still right now as we're recording this in beautiful southern Utah, and it's warm and it's nice and just a great time. This is where we redefine success in leadership, business, and ministry. We just mix all those together often. Sometimes we go down one path or the other. I have a feeling that today we're going to have discussions about all of those, and I'm excited about that. I'll get to our guest in just a moment, but before I do, I just want to encourage all of you. I love what I do here, having these conversations, but what I would really enjoy is if you're listening in and you would like to continue the conversation, I encourage you to do that. Please do, and you can do that in many places. Go to all of our socials. We are Seek, Go, Create on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Trying to think of where anywhere else. Ah, we're YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, we're on all the podcast platforms. So join in, put some comments in, ask questions. You're welcome to disagree. I mean, some of the conversations we have here, they are definitely disagreeable and we're okay with that. And so just join in on the conversation. Final place to go to find us is seekgocreate.com. That is our website. We have extensive notes, details, resources for each episode. And then also you can give us your best email address so that we can stay connected and you can just be up to date on all that we're doing. So thank you for doing that. I appreciate it greatly. And so with that, let me kind of jump into our guest here and man, this is going to be fun. This is, uh, we have Amy Wolf as our guest and she's a speaker, coach, motivational speaker, author of Signs of Hope that at the time of recording, I don't believe is released, but, but by the time some of you listen to the podcast or YouTube, I bet it'll be released. So look for that, That's Signs right. of Hope. And she's the founder of the nonprofit Don't Give Up Movement. Amy, welcome to Seek, Go, Create. Oh, I'm really glad to be here. Thanks. Yeah, so glad you're here. You already, I, I know you said you listened, so you know the first question. Mm -hmm. I, I like do, that. I'm ready. Ready, ready. All right, here it comes. Amy, we bump into each other somewhere. I love the bios, they're awesome and all, but if I say, <laughs> Amy, what do you do? What do you tell people? Yeah, well, like your life, mine is multifaceted. So I have two versions that come to mind. <laughs> and then in this conversation, I'm assuming we're gonna hit all of them at some point. So the first is my day gig. It's what I get paid to do. So you know how a lot of people hate public speaking or they're speaking at church or they have to present in front of the board of directors at their job or just do a quarterly review meeting with their team and their heart just pounds out of their chest. Well, we, my company, Distinction Communication, provide speaker coaching one-on-one -on -one or in small group workshops so that people feel more confident, look more confident and the results are that even if they don't feel super great about speaking, they look composed, they sound articulate, and their ideas get traction and they have influence. So that's the day gig. Yeah. The second answer is a lot of us have seen, not just in COVID, prior to COVID, have seen the headlines about the crisis of mental wellness, about mental health and certainly has felt exasperated in the last year or so. Well, in 2017, moved by a string of suicides in our small town, 
I decided to stake 20 uplifting yard signs with hopeful messages on them. And it became a global grassroots movement of making love and hope tangible through all kinds of products. So the results are that they help people shockingly. We'll talk about how cliche they are and yet how profound they've been helping people fight an addiction, leave an abusive relationship, and sometimes even kept people from harming themselves physically. So those are the two main aspects of my life, take up most of my time, but then there's the personal stuff and the spiritual stuff, and it's just this melting pot of purpose. Yeah, and really, really, we're all made up of this multifaceted, there's things going on. One of the, it's kind of like, it's kind of ironic that I love asking that question first, because I have multiple interests, as most people that listen in know. You obviously have multiple interests. Some of it depends on the context of where you are when you answer that question. My guess is if we were at a chamber of commerce or if we were at some form of a business event or a conference, Mm -hmm. you would probably lean towards the speaker coach and all that you do there. But if you and I were just out and about in community, you're probably going towards that passion project, that, that, uh, mm-hmm. correct. Would that be kind of the way you'd go? Yeah. Yeah. Always, always depends. Who am I talking to in what context am I here speaking and give them the version. What's beautiful about your podcast is it's all of the above anything. Yeah. We don't, we don't <laughs> have to, it. yeah, we don't have to kind of hide any of that. And I think the audience yeah. that listens in, they know that and they know that at any given time I, I could go off on a on a pivot or something like that. So <laughs> so one of the first things that I guess I wanted to I was I wanted to kind of dig into is this whole aspect of the signs of hope, because I, I think and, and I know I think you can appreciate when we say this, there are other people that do coaching for speakers. There are other people that coach. I mean, I'm a coach and there's truth, mm-hmm. truthfully at times, it seems like everyone's a coach now. I'm not sure, but it sometimes <laughs> seems true. that way. I think everyone uh-huh. has their uniqueness and people connect with each other. But this signs of hope is very unique. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that I thought of, and this, this might be a little bit of the cynic in me coming out and I'm going to, I'm going to say it and then I'm going to let you maybe dig a little bit deeper on it is I'm going like, okay, so uh, a sign, I see a, I see one in the background that, that you have here, we're watching on video, a sign with two or three words is going to make that much of a difference. But then on the flip side, I go, it shows how starved we are in our culture, mm. in our world mm. for encouragement. So what... What, I what's get it, up? Tim. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have spent a lot of time asking what's up. I'll tell you a little bit of the backstory and tell you why I hated the signs that I ended up putting out for the very reasons that you brought up just now. I was sitting with a small group at church. One of my friends in that group is a teacher. He told us you guys wouldn't believe the suicide rates mm-hmm. in our town this year. And I was floored. I don't even remember the number. I was just dumbfounded at the amount of suffering around me. Well, I'm a doer. It sounds like Tim, you are too. So I can't just sit and go, oh, that's awful. But what could I really do? Part of me thinks, has the audacity to think something. You do something, Amy. And I had read Bob Goff's book, Love Does, years prior. Have you read that? Yes. Yeah, you have. So I read that book. 
and in that book is these examples of just stupid, radical love to strangers. And I had a vision, not mystically, but just this in my mind's eye, this white sign, three words, don't give up. And I thought, that's the stupidest idea ever. That is so lame. <laughs> but for years, it kept coming back to me. So by the time my friend told me about the suicides in Oregon here, I thought, I don't know what to do. I'm not qualified. I'm too busy, but I'm going to do something. I'm going to print those yard signs that I've thought about for years. I'm just going to print them out anonymously and stick them in people's yards around the schools in particular. And it became crazy fast. Uh, where these signs come from? And I want one in my yard. And oh my gosh, it was on the right street on the right day at the right time for what I needed. And I sat dumbfounded again, what the heck? Somehow yard signs were genius, totally genius. And it took some reflecting of why, but interesting story. A couple months after the movement started, I sat at a secular conference and a woman was explaining how encouraging words plastered over gaping wounds, wounds do no good. They do more harm. <laughs> like we should stop plastering these platitudes, right? And our community of faith can be the worst at them sometimes. Uh, when I was 14, my brother died and I heard God doesn't give you anything you can't handle in God's perfect timing. And I, it was not helpful at all to me. And so I sat there and I listened to her and I thought, she's so right. But I did this thing with words on signs and it blew up and it was spreading across state lines and people were requesting them. And, and I went up to her afterwards and I said, why is this working? Because I get what you're saying, but also these signs are doing something in people's lives in a profound way. And she gave me, Tim, really valuable insight into what was happening. And hopefully it kind of answers your question. She said, oh no, Amy, you're not trying to plaster cliche, toxic positivity words on people's suffering. What you're doing is you're inviting them to have a moment of sovereignty. Mm. And I said, that sounds really beautiful, Megan. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> Can you explain it? And she said, yeah, people are minding their own business and their own thought tracks. And through whatever lens of suffering they're experiencing, they see a sign on the side of the road. And in a moment, they decide it's for them and they take the hope for themselves. That's what you're facilitating. And that is powerful when people see it and claim it for themselves. And light bulbs went off. That's why they work. They're simple, they're vague. You, we can see our situations through them. We can take the hope for whatever we're encountering, whether it just be a bad day or a health diagnosis or the loss of a loved one. Oh, the stories, the stories I've heard at the right place, at the right time, people having moments of sovereignty. Who knew? Yeah, that, that is a big term, moments of sovereignty. Yeah. I, I actually, I wrote it down. I'm taking notes here. So if my, my eyes go this way, I'm pretty confident I spelled sovereignty wrong. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> a couple of E's and I's and G's. Yeah I, yeah, I don't know. It's okay. I was creative, creative spelling there. But, but one of the things I'd love for you to share, because it, this went, it's so intriguing to me for multiple reasons, because signs in yards is kind of old school. 
I mean, let's just call it like it is. I had a business back in the 2000s where we bought and sold real estate. And one of our best marketing tools were yard signs. You know, we buy houses. Uh-huh. I mean, we had them everywhere. People have seen them. We did that. I was, I was that guy. Sorry to say that I probably <laughs> junked up the street corners in the area. But every time we put them out, we would buy houses. They work. They worked 20 years ago, and what I'm hearing you say is they still work today. So old-school, low-tech item, but it went viral, though, didn't it? I mean, from what I'm seeing, this went viral. Tell us about what happened as you did that. It went viral at the worst possible time. I'm sitting in a condo in Maui, Hawaii, first vacation with my family. I needed to unplug. The movement was a second job. I had my day gig already. My husband had a demanding job. So we finally took the kids to Hawaii, first vacation. Sitting in the condo, 10 p.m. at night, I get a message from a friend. Hey, we tried to fulfill all the orders that came through to don't give up while you were gone, but we ran out of supplies. I'm so sorry we tried. What? You ran out? I, I had plenty of stock. What happened? For seven days, I was in Sabbath mode. I was not in emails. I was not on social media. I completely, which is very hard for me, completely unplugged. I dive back in and I am scrolling through hundreds and hundreds of orders going, what happened? In the emails, I get to an email from a guy named Colby out of Seattle, Washington, a young dad who said, Amy, I put out signs. The local news covered it. The national syndicate picked it up. It's going viral. Good morning, America, reach out to me. I know you're on vacation, but will you call me back? Hmm. What? (laughs) And so it was the nuttiest 12 hours. The next day we flew home as planned and realized that the idea that someone unqualified, a young mom having lots going on and yet not feeling really qualified to enter even in the conversation of mental wellness did something that we can all do something. And that is having an impact. I think it was intriguing. And people saw themselves in the movement. And so then Washington Post did an article about us and Guidepost Magazine and all these incredible PR really, uh, PR highlights that we didn't seek out. And it has just picked up traction. Within 18 months, we were in all 50 states and 26 countries, we did custom products in all different languages. It's wild and we don't brand anything, which makes no sense as a business. So here I own a business and then I run this nonprofit and we do everything countercultural. We don't brand the things. If people are curious, they Google it and find out what the story is behind it. And yet still the PR and yet still the articles. And then one day I get an email from a literary agent. Hey, have you thought about writing a book? And that was two years ago. And so the book, it, all right, one thing I'd love for you to do before we get much, much farther, we know the term, yeah. we know don't give up was what started yes. it. But I do, yes. there's been other, I guess, yeah. messages that you've had. Can mm-hmm. you just, can you just rattle off yeah. uh, a number of them for us and yeah. just let those kind of sink in w- to our yeah. ears? Yeah. Yeah. And then after I tell them, I want to know, Tim, which one you like best. Okay. So in Facebook, if you're on Facebook, in the comments, maybe write which one that resonates with you. So we started with all of our yard signs say, don't give up on the back. But the very first 20 that we stuck out as a young family 
uh, had two different messages on the front. You are worthy of love and your mistakes do not define you. And those were inspired because our small group had just finished reading Brené Brown's book, The Gifts of Imperfection. And those were inspired by some of her ideas and work. Then the evolution of adding more products. You can see behind me in video, we have card decals and encouragement cards, postcards, tattoos, pins, all sorts of stuff. We sell all at cost. We don't make any money. But then as products evolve, so did our sayings. Now they include, you are enough. It's not too late. One day at a time. We're all in this together. What else? You got this. You matter. I think there's 10 total and we have some of our products in Spanish. Okay, what rang your bell? Well, as much as I like to pin people down to one things, this is actually what jumped inside of me as you were speaking those, Amy. And this is coming from a guy who I have been a follower of Christ now for 30 something years and have been studying scripture and I've been around, I'll just call it, our audience is okay with me saying this, church people. I've been around church people for a long time. I went to Bible school for a few years. And Amy, what I really love is that everything I heard is the gospel without having to use a scripture or, or King's English or anything like that. Those are gospel message, messages. You are worthy of love. We're in a culture and society that's so deprived by what love is. Later, you and I are going to really talk about words and the power of words, because I think that word love is a word that has really been used, abused, and misused in our culture. So mistakes do not define, I mean, every, yeah. every one of them I like, but but I'm going to flip it around on you because I'm, I'm asking the questions here, but th thank you. Though. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Thank you. Though. Thank you though. Um, and we're about to get into something that I think is going to be fun for us. And that's our personality profiles. Yes, um, yes. The thing that I would like to ask is I don't know that y'all test. I'm an engineer by training. I love to kind of look at data and all that, but maybe I'll ask it this way, which of those, jump off the, the shelves the most, which mm. do you get the most demand for? Mm. And, yeah. and uh, I guess what I, I, I hate to use the term most popular for phrases yeah. that are all good, but, but which ones, if you had to rank them, if someone said you only have one to use, yeah. what's it going to be? Oh, one to use. Ugh. Well, I can tell you that we sell mostly the items that say you matter. You got this. And probably in the last year we launched, we're, in, we're all in this together, which I have mixed feelings about, but it was a request and we did it. And that one was extremely popular in 2020. Right. And I think one thing that's interesting, as you were saying that, it's interesting you said that it may not, it was requested. This, this will go ahead and dive us right into some maybe possibly political items, but you matter that word matter mm. has been extremely divisive mm. and challenging mm -hmm. and helpful to some and hurtful to others, depending on what's in front of it for now, 
a good year going back to the summer of 2020, but really yeah. even prior to that is when that bubbled yeah. up. Do you think that has something to do with that you matter or is mm. it just uh, it just is what it is? Yeah, no, that's interesting. I did have a group order custom signs. Uh, we have a variety pack where people can have one of each of those signs. Mm -hmm. And they asked to omit the You Matter one. And I thought that's interesting because it's our most popular. And they said, well, we think it's divisive. How the heck <laughs> did we get in an age where saying You Matter on a yard sign is divisive? I It blows my mind. Now, the, like you said, Tim, the words you put before it, I get how it's messy. It's messy and nuanced and difficult. But You Matter came three years ago in our movement and it is vague and it's everyone and it's inclusive. But I think some people have found like you, ooh, is that tricky? Does that evoke some reaction to it? And that's fair. Uh, but we really don't hear it too often. I think that was the one, one time that someone correlated that message with what's going on with that word. Yeah, and, and that's that's part of some of the challenges we have in culture and also, all right, here's what I want to do right now. I want to pause the conversation on words, and I want to jump over to something that when I read, I think you had this on your website, I said, I love Amy <laughs> because she's my kind of person. <laughs> It said that you enjoy vacuum lines. Do you even have vacuum in your RV? We don't. And so I've missed out on the joy of vacuum lines for some time now. But tell people about that. And they're going to learn something yeah. about me because I love them too. Yeah. I, Tim, I'm not going to give an analysis of perhaps why you love vacuum lines. But I can tell you on a superficial level, my house is always put together, even though I have two young girls. And part of that, honestly, is probably a sense of control in my life where otherwise I haven't felt it. You know, some of the things I write about in the book is a marriage that has been hard since day one and we work at it. And when I felt completely out of control there, I can vacuum my carpet. <laughs> and in my faith, when I went through a crisis at 14, witnessing the death of my brother, you know, so I think if we were getting really deep, the vacuum lines come from put together, clean, I can control this, this can be calm, I get to curate this. And so that's a really deep answer. Also love home stuff, decorating, clean house. <laughs> All right. So Okay, I, why? Why about you? I, I'm the same. Is it control? That, that okay. is deep. All right. There's a control piece to yeah, it, it is. I do believe. I also think there's a sense of accomplishment in our works mindedness Ooh. that when we finish, yeah. we can look and, and it's very, you know, sometimes you yes. look at a vacuumed rug or whatever you go, I wonder if it's really clean and all that. The lines show us <laughs> that we just finished this project and that we're done with it. I do all of your truth. That's true. I do all of our laundry and yeah. I'll tell you the only reason I do it in the world I'm in. I mean, I love doing this and my coaching and things like that, but I did the laundry last night. Uh, we're, you know, we're in an RV place, so I have to, you know, load it up and I walk over to the laundry place, put the clothes in, <laughs> finish up. I do a little bit of reading, move them over to the dryer, finish up, come back. And then, you know what? There is this extreme sense of accomplishment. And I would love it if someone would tell me 
how accomplished I am. Usually that doesn't happen, but I would love it if it would be like the laundry bins. Yeah. The skies <laughs> part the heavens. And I hear this deep James Earl Jones voice that says, Amy, good job on the vacuuming. <laughs> yeah. There's probably an element to, Hey, progress, instant results. It sounds like you and I are both productivity driven. Yeah. I'm certainly task oriented in the disc world and personality tests. And I think you're right. I think part of it is look, this is done. I can see it. Yes, absolutely. All right. So the second thing, and I even said something to my wife, I said, I think Amy and I are going to either have a lot of fun <laughs> or we're going to come to blows at times, which is okay with either one because that's yeah. our personalities are this way. You mm -hmm. actually mm -hmm. on your website post boldly for everyone to see your Enneagram type your disc assessment, your strengths finder, which, which here's one, one of my first questions is what type of personality type puts their personality on their website? Have you thought through that? Yeah. It's people who say shocking, maybe nuanced and charged things and then try to say, but it's because I'm an eight. It's because I'm a driver. <laughs> and so people go, oh, okay, it's how she's wired. It's not personal. So maybe it's a little bit of a safety net uh, context for people who speak those test languages. Yeah. I, years ago, I used to teach the DISC profile when I was in corporate training back in the 90s. Yep. And I was a high D. And one of the things I noticed is those of us that are high Ds, uh, you're probably not this way. You're much more humble and, and have a much more humble nature. I really would beat my chest and be proud of the fact that I was a D and I would notice other people would kind of slump in their chairs because the high D's were mm -hmm. taking mm -hmm. over. So anyway, I do think it's, I do think it's valuable to do that. And what is it about your personality that really, I, I love asking this question of people that do this because I'm, this is me learning more about me. What is mm -hmm. it that you believe is your superpower and what is your kryptonite? Mm -hmm. My superpower has changed. Hmm. I would say God has put me on a really steep learning curve over the last three years. And that learning curve has become, I think, what he wanted me to develop, which is a strength of loving people well. And it doesn't matter what gender they identify, how they vote, words out of their mouth, where they go to church or not, what they wear. And that has been hard for me mm -hmm. but now I think people who know me uh, just within the last year or have known me for a very long time will say she's out to love well like there's something about you that is just committed to loving well and so I hope uh, I hope that the internal work is externally obvious and that's what people would say yeah. my kryptonite is always my ego just always I'm always aware of that I like the sound of my own voice. I'm a professional speaker. I am outward with my opinions, right? I, I, I don't mind being vulnerable, which is a little odd for an eight, an Enneagram eight, for those of you who are familiar, but I owe it. Why? Why am I sharing my ideas? Why do I like speaking? Uh, and so I'm always confronting my ego. Is it confidence, which I've always had? And it's really, where's the line between confidence and ego? And I've resolved that if I'm always asking, I'm in the right place where mm. there's not really clarity for me on it's ego when, or it's just confidence when, 
But instead, if I'm holding the tension and always wondering, and I'm leaning in with God, call me out when I'm wrong, then I can walk in that tension and feel like I'm trying to keep it in check. Mm. All right. I had about three things trigger with me. So I'm going to write down, um, what is it like with that personality in church world? What is it like (laughs) with that personality being a female? And I'm also, you know, I think, I think those two might Mm. be, oh, oh, I know what the third Mm. one is. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. Um, (laughs) But my word I'm writing down is catalyst. All right. In church world, there's a word that's thrown around called humility. Yeah. And in general, Amy, the way you just spoke, in many church circles, uh, you you did talk about your awareness and, you know, your, your, your ego and things like that. But have there ever been times that the personality profile that you were gifted with when you were created, I truly believe that, that it has caused you issues around some religious people. Mm. Oh, can you say it one more time? It was so good. I don't okay. want to start speaking and not, I just don't want to start. I can well, start speaking anything. Have, say it again. Have, has your, that boldness, that confidence that, yeah. that, yeah. you know, you want the microphone, mm. you, yeah. you, you, yeah. you feel pretty good about, yeah. you know, what you know and things like that. And you obviously you have yeah. thought okay. through it. But in and around, I'll just call it religious circles, they are not comfortable with that. And this is going to spin off to the whole female question that I'm going to ask. But let's just keep it, let's just keep it, uh, whatever, non-sexual, whatever, just generic for now. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, here's, my response is a little bit nuanced like the rest of my life. I have a really healthy fear of walking in wanting a voice at the spiritual authority table. So I was asked to speak at a women's retreat. I get, I speak at corporate conferences all over the U S to business professionals and hundreds of people. And so when I'm asked to speak in a spiritual setting, I have a very healthy fear of God, a very reverent, humble, who am I, why am I here? And I'm not going to get preaching the word wrong. I just will not, I will not be flippant about that. And so I, almost have imposter syndrome, which is not this is just the opposite of my confidence and my boldness. But when I walk into church and I'm asked to speak, I feel differently. I feel a healthy tentative. Don't speak your words, speak inspired words. And that's a slower process. So I spent four months studying every line of every chapter of a book I was teaching on in the Bible, because I wasn't going to get it wrong. I wasn't going to make a Ted talk and then uphold it with a few verses here and there to make it sound spiritual. I wanted to teach the word of God, which is scary and confronting and beautiful and gracious and daunting and confusing. And I wanted to honor the nuance of God himself in the Bible. I was teaching parts of the Bible. So to answer your question, I, I temper it a bit, not because of a spirit of religious, uh, religious spirit, but because I fear God and I, I don't want my opinions, uh, to get in the way. That's good. That's, and, and, you know, I love that response because what it speaks to me is that you probably recognize and realize that there'll be criticism from people all the time, but you don't want 
anything fracturing that relationship with the father. <laughs> and, and yeah, Tim, it's really confusing though, because here, okay. So three years ago, God told me, Amy, go be in the world. Nonsense with this Christian bubble, nonsense with Christian friends. It's not nonsense, but he was saying, go be in the world, which I don't hear God clearly like that. I just don't. And it was fast and clear. Hmm. I don't, okay, God, I, all right. Well, one month later, I meet an unlikely friend named Missy. And you get to read about this in the book of loving people who are different from you. And I had to confront, I cringe when we talk about her marriage to women and then her marriage to men. And I just didn't know what to do with her yelling in a microphone at a women's march. And I just, it got so uncomfortable. And yet God told me, Amy, I need you to hate your sin more than anyone else's sin. Mm -hmm. And as long as you hate yours more, and you don't start to categorize and measure certain sins against, I need you to hate yours more and stay humble before me. And it will allow you to love other people like I love them. And at the same time, Tim, as my Christian conservative friends are side eyeing me, like, what are you doing? Who are you talking with? What do you mean things are getting more gray, not black and white? What do you mean nuance? What does this mean, Amy? I am wooed by the spirit of God and his word. It is alive to me. I want no part in forming a faith that I can serve easy on a platter to culture. I don't care. I don't want to take from God's word. I don't want to add to God's word. This reverence and this mystery and awe of who God is stirred in me at the same time, deeper in my faith, unlearning things from growing up in the church in the most beautiful way of unlearning at the same time as God is calling me to love better to hate my sin more than other people's, to enter into awkward places with people that don't know him. And so Tim, that, that struggle of truth and love, grace and love, truth. And when do we feel like love compromises the truth? And then when are we getting it wrong in deeming who's worthy of love or not? So what you say, you mentioned something about that and that has been a struggle for me, but one that God asked me to struggle with. Right. So usually we're going to go, all right, we're going to go deeper here. Okay. okay. Usually there is a catalyst that my observation here, if, if I'm wrong, you can correct me on this, but I've looked back in my life. I've worked with a lot of people just like you have. And I observe that people make changes like that in one of two ways. Either they make some type of decision to make a very concerted effort to day to day to day, week to week to week, year to year to year, make that change. Or there is a catalytic, eye-opening, life-changing event that from the external to the internal, it forces change. The change that I've gone through in my life has almost entirely, and I'm a, I'm a positive mental attitude coach type guy, but most of my big changes have come because of catalytic events from the outside in. Was there a catalytic event that has moved you to where you are in that belief system? And, and we're going to talk more about, I think you said it was Missy and others, because that's one of the places I would love for us to go here that I would love to peel those layers back and understand more. Uh, there okay, event? well, good. Yes. Because my answer hints towards that conversation. Good. My answer, Tim, is no. Mm. which there was not a catalyst moment. So I'll tell you the moment God started <clears throat> peeling, peeling off my black and white legalistic mindset. Mm. 
Okay. So I was sitting on my bed watching a YouTube video. This is how all good stories of encountering the spirit of God start. Mm, okay. I was sitting on my bed watching a YouTube video probably seven, eight years ago, a long time ago. And it was the seed. It was the tiny, tiny little seed that started much, much more. It was two men speaking at Seattle Pacific University, a Christian university. Both men identified as gay. One believed that it was against God's design to act on his sexual desires. And one of the Christian gay men believed in how he interpreted scripture that there was nothing wrong with him being in relationship with a man. Hmm. And they spoke together and they took turns. And I watched them going, number one, just what? Hold on, hold the phone. I mean, I, I interpret the Bible to mean God intended relationship sexually to be between a man and a woman. So already I'm uncomfortable. And then to see how they both actually interpret scripture differently coming from a gay perspective. Okay. And it blew my mind. It was the first time I sat on my bed and thought nuance. And they disagree and love each other. They disagree and they travel around the country doing this together to say, we can disagree and still be civil and kind mm. around something very personal to them, very sensitive to them. And that was just a seed of, whoa, how can we love and disagree on fundamental things? And just seeds since then, leading up to me sitting in a pew and God saying, out of your Christian bubble. And then a month later, meeting Missy, a month later, hearing Hate Your Sin More, a month later, reading the works of Thomas Merton, a, an incredible book. Everyone go get the Seeds of Contemplation, learning about the mystery of God and him wooing me. And so it's stepstones and not a catalyst moment, but God slowly deconstructing this black and white thinking of God, my God would do this. My God wouldn't do that. These are God's people. These aren't. You don't really have a genuine faith if you can't interpret Bible this way. And it really started to deconstruct some of those things, keeping me from knowing God in his entirety and loving others well. That word deconstruct has become quite a word in Christian mm -hmm. circles. Were you using it in that term or was it just, I know words are powerful for you. There is yeah. a term called deconstruction now that is, oh, is going around. I didn't know. Yeah. Okay. okay. So maybe you don't. Okay. And cause it's, it's like this thing. And what it really is, mm -hmm. is, is people that probably grew up in and around a church that claim to deconstruct or walk away from their faith. I actually think it's people oh. that are tired of religion. They probably still yeah. want to have direct connection. I mm -hmm. truthfully, if you mm -hmm. hang out around me long enough, you know that I think that religion, religious people, those are the Pharisees and hypocrites of our day. And that that's probably what's pushing people away mm -hmm. from the gospel mm -hmm. as much as anything else. And we're going to get to this shortly. I think it's impacting and spilling over into our political structures and things like that. Yep. The, and the reason I bring yeah. it up is because so many people have talked about the election of 2016 or something along the way that just kind of sped that up. So mm. so I'm, I'm going to drill a little bit more down. So you're telling me that you just stumbled across that video happenstance was it the algorithms was it the father i mean was there anything else that you were kind of going through i'll go ahead and share this with you i went to a church during the 90s that we were friends with the pastor and his wife and everything was cool we were kind of the same age and everything we started going to another church in the night in the 2000s and 
shortly after that, he kind of came out that he wasn't really attracted to women and he he uh, let everybody know that he was still going to be a pastor, but he's now, you know, going to be married to a man. And uh, so so there's a lot of these things that have floated around in my head. And I also want to layer this with I grew up in the Deep South. I grew up around the Baptist faith, not really going much. I was all about myself at that point. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I got a lot of these layers that, Mm -hmm. that I question, but it's part of kind of who we are too. So, so I I guess I'm going, I'm going to ask you one more time, (laughs) or was there anything else or, or going back to even questioning the bigger structure of church and faith going back to when you were 13 because my wife had a sibling that passed away also Mm. we've gone back and we know that that was a pivotal time in her life amy Mm because we scanned a bunch of pictures one time and i'm just Mm. scanning i'm the one running them through the scanner and when she was eight years old her brother was five died of leukemia Mm. her entire visage Mm. changed and Mm. and after that it was like entirely different so Anything else that may have, or was it just a process and you were just uncomfortable with all that's going on in the world and we're just checking things out? Yeah. The video was sent to me by a friend who ended up coming out gay shortly after. Okay. So that's how I got the video. I genuinely, yes, looking back on my life, 14, watched my brother drowned at a lake uh, and I had to make a choice. Uh, being young, growing up in the church, my mom is a pastor in our free Methodist denomination. So uh, just active spiritual life at home. But when I was 14, I had to make a decision. I, I This is how I articulate it. God does not exist after all. Or God exists and he's cruel. Or God exists. He is good and sovereign. And I just won't get it on this side of heaven. And at 14, with no help, no counseling, had just very quickly determined God's good and sovereign and I won't get it. I was never angry. I never had survivor's guilt. I was speaking to my brother while he was drowning and he could hear me. And I had no fear. I have no fear of water or guilt or flashbacks or nightmares. Uh, A real miraculous sparing, I believe, a a miracle that God gave me to protect my heart which I am tentative sharing because that's not everyone's story and suffering. And I don't know why me, why God protected me the way he did, but he did. So it was that a catalyst. Yes. And I will tell you why in two ways. One definitely solidified my faith. Do you, or don't you, but number two, 14 years old. Okay. God, I don't know if I have 18 years, so I'm all in make my days count every day. So at 14, a sense of urgency, make my life count. And it's not going to be by building a business and being successful and no, like, how do I live a life that mattered to other people? How do I leave a legacy? And that came too early. I mean, I was forced to grow up really quickly, but it benefited me in that I never was under the false assumption that I have forever. Mm-hmm. I have forever. I, everything felt really important, which Ask my husband that sometimes has the negative impact of every battle's worth fighting. <laughs> and he's like, whoa, now. <laughs> but that was a catalyst moment, certainly for a few reasons. But to be honest, some of the biggest transformations in my thinking and in my spirit were slow and steady seeds that God placed because he knew how stubborn I am. 
and how it would take slow unfrying of my fingers over what I thought was right and I defined as good. And it was the slow prying off that he did. I'll give you one quick example. I use this in the book and it's a little terrifying. It's out in the world soon <laughs> or by the time this airs uh, in your hands, perhaps. I sat at my computer one day, a post, a post on Facebook about racism and I'm mad. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't say I have white privilege. Hold a phone. I don't see color. Like, come on. I'm not bad. Two years later, fast forward, I'm reading more. I befriend a person of color, which we don't have diversity much in my small town, but I befriend a person of color. We actually have a hard conversation at dinner one night and I'm weeping and I'm challenging her and she's challenging me back. And I leave that dinner two years later, I get why I have a foot ahead of you by the color of my skin. I see color and it's beautiful. How wrong of me to think I shouldn't see it. I see it and it's beautiful. I read headlines differently. I still cringe at some things. I don't take anything at face value. So reading more news, not quick to post anymore, not quick to hit reply anymore in the comment section, which is good for me. And so here's the slow, steady evolution of me learning, of me transforming the way I judge people and evaluate people's experiences. But that wasn't instant. That was so slow in a huge transformation. And one of the reasons why I share that is you might have someone in your life, a friend, a family, and you're just thinking, they don't get it. Why don't they get it? Sometimes we need to be patient because the progress will be slow, but it will be deep and it will be real. So be patient with those in your lives that are slow to understand. Hmm. There's a word that I've used more with myself, and I don't know if it's just an excuse as I get older, mm. but I'll throw in the word maturity. Mm. Is somewhat maturity what you're speaking of also? Is it is mm. it maybe gaining more that we use that word maturity some? Mm. I think that's part of it. I think maturity requires us to always, I was actually in a prayer night last night at church and worship and I don't get messages from God very clearly. I don't know how everyone feels about the prophetic and the giftings there, but I, I wrote something down and it was, Amy, everything's on the table always. Empty your pockets. And so I think maturity is saying, here are my fears and insecurity, God. Here's also how I interpret the scripture and the boundaries I put in my relationships and the way I've chosen to budget my money. That's on the table too. You can tell me I'm completely wrong on this thing that I've planted a foundation on. It's all on the table. God said, pour it all out. Empty your pockets. Everything I get to sift through. Mm. Not just the things you feel insecure about. The things, Amy, you feel secure about, pour them back on the table. Let me sift through them. And so I think that takes maturity to say, loose-handed everything. I am holding nothing. I am claiming no corner on truth except God himself. And he gets to touch and influence and sift and correct and rebuke anything else. And that does take maturity because you can be completely wrong. God could completely humble me and say, you need to change your mind on that. And let me tell you, our culture does not afford us to change our mind on things. No. Is that how you develop? There's a term that I, I saw this word multiple times when I was doing some reading on you, and that's the word nuance. Mm -hmm. uh, because yes. nuance, I don't know if it's the direct opposite. You can maybe tell me your thoughts, but there's mm -hmm. absolute 
And then there's nuance that I kind of put in separate categories for those that are watching this. I'm kind yeah. of putting it on two hands. Yes. Uh, tell, talk to us about nuance. Mm. And I believe I'm going to lead this into a conversation about some, some words in our culture that we look at them as absolutes when they may be more nuanced. Anyway, but t- talk, to, Ooh, that's good. T- talk to us about nuance. Okay. So nuance, my daughter last night was just asking me this at the dinner table. What is nuance? I thought, what's the seven-year-old version answer? So this primed me really well. I need, for a short I need, podcast. The, I need the seven-year-old <laughs> answer. Give me the yeah, seven-year-old okay. answer. <laughs> it's when two things seemingly conflict and yet they are both true. For example, mm. Avery, this is what I was telling my daughter. For example, Avery, I believe that God is scary and terrifying and he can be full of anger and he's tender and approachable and merciful. What? How do those two things go together? I don't know, but that's the nuance of God. And then I tried to tell another example, which I have felt deeply personally, and my husband looked at me like too far, and I was like, okay, (laughs) not the seven-year-old version. So I stopped myself, but the other nuance of me is I am pro-life, and a feminist. And then Jake's like, how are you going to explain that? And that's when I called it quits. Like, never mind. But uh, we own guns and I'm not against gun reform. <laughs> I love 90s rap music and I don't like cursing. What? And so these things that are seemingly conflicting, deep and superficial, there's room, there's nuance. It's not so black and white, yes or no, all in or all out. You're either for me or against me. There's nuance in the middle and it's very uncomfortable because you have to be willing to hold both and not evaluate or try to tip the scales. So that to me is the definition. With that said, there are absolute truths. And I, one of my biggest pet peeves in our culture is that everyone's saying there's not, and there is, there's absolute truths. So, all right. So your follow-up there kind of, I'm going to keep going down the nuance because because I could say, what are some absolutes? But let's go down the nuance sure. path because I think there's a lot okay. to be learned there. We are recording this just a few months after, I, I guess the election's over now. I joke around. It seems like a lot of people don't think it's over, but whatever. It's over. It's whatever. done. I don't know. I think we're gearing up for the next one or something's happening. But anyway. Oh, and, heaven help us. And, and we saw... Anyway, I I won't go into all the thoughts that I had. You actually publicly said that you made a change Uh this last election, but you Uh just, you just gave a few that I'm going to ask you about. Um, it appears as if in our society, in we'll we'll call it American first world. If if someone's listening in from India or Europe, and we've got a lot of listeners there, Mm -hmm. they may have some different choices, but in our country, If you are for the environment and you are for protecting the unborn, you don't really have a place to go vote. (laughs) 100%. Does that make sense? (laughs) Because there's these absolute, and and, and that's just one example. There are so many others, but you use words pro-life and feminism. And, And listen, I'll go ahead and say right up front, I said it earlier, Southern boy grew up in the South white dude, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. The word feminism can be a bad word in the circles that I grew up in. So, but yet there's nuances to that word. Talk to us about that. 
Why, yeah. why is it so a bad unlikely, word and why is it not? <laughs> yes. Okay. So unlikely friend, Missy, who you will all get to know in the book, how we met, what we do. It's really God uh-huh. ordained, certainly. Uh, and I don't say that about too many things, but she was a pussy hat wearing, yelling into a microphone, woman's march several years back, so loud, uses the word patriarchy, every other word in conversation. And I am disgusted. And I remember watching the women marches on TV and thinking, you say this is a woman's march, but there's no room for women like me, where I feel more isolated, more alienated because I'm pro-life and all of you are marching, but there's no room for me in your march because we we disagree on the abortion issue or topic. And so very much had a bad taste in my mouth about feminism. I wanted nothing to do with it. It did not represent me. I was having a conversation with Missy about feminism. We do live Facebook chats about divisive topics, unplanned, fascinating social experiment. And my best friend also oddly named Missy texted me afterwards and said, Amy, I have bad news for you. I think you're a feminist. And I said, what do you mean? And she goes, here's the definition. You believe that men and women should have equal opportunity, that they are equal. And I thought, what? dang, I'm a freaking feminist. And I, I sometimes don't know what to do with that. Like I, I'm an action oriented person. So I don't know how that turns into action for me still. I struggle with that because there's not a lot of room at the table for a pro-life feminist. So I remember the next conversation I had with my unlikely friend, Missy, I said, I have explosive news for you today. And she said, what's that? I said, I'm a pro-life feminist. And she had to like, did it She's bother her? So pro-choice. Did it oh, bother yeah. her? Well, so, so, so there, it goes both mm-hmm. ways, right? You know, we yeah, we like to put yeah. our Christian brothers and That's sisters right. in this thing, but it it it's uncomfortable for these other folks too. Yeah, she said pro-life. So that's going to be really uncomfortable for a lot of people thinking, no, you legitimately can't be feminist and pro-life. Those are opposing things. You have to be for women in their right to choose. Or you're not for women. And I said, well, that makes this really messy, doesn't it? <laughs> and really quickly, this is Missy. She was like, right on. Okay, there's a seat at the table for you. She's progressive and passionate and loud and incredibly welcoming and defends me to her very progressive community. And it's beautiful. And so uh, there's nuance to that. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what that action is except I've done more homework and all the pro-life legislation that tries to get passed or is passed, I don't agree with it all. Whereas I would have said, it's all correct. This is how I, this is being pro-life is agreeing with all every line item of that legislation. And Missy has helped me understand, do you really think this part, would you really get behind that part? No, no. And so even being pro-life, I think it, for some people, it's signing the line to, I agree with all these things. Not even, even that is nuanced. I agree with some of that legislation and not parts of the others. And there, there really is no place for someone in the middle. And I think, Tim, that's what you're kind of getting at is yes. the grace and the truth and the absolutes. What do we do in the middle and the nuance in the middle? If you're caring about the planet and you're going to call it global warming, what do you do when your party says not true? Yeah. Or, yeah, I mean, that was, I think that's something that I'm getting more annoyed with and, Mm. and, and bothers me is that we are unable to have communication. So to me, the action step, Amy, 
is this right here is what you're doing is you're communicating about it. I'm guessing. And listen, I don't pretend to have all the answers. I mean, listen, do I have privileges? Absolutely. Do I, you know, all these things. I mean, not everyone lives in an RV. That's pretty awesome. So I've got things, I'm, I'm not making light of things, but I'm trying to sure. lighten the, the load we're, we're bringing sure. in here a little Should bit. Should we surface up a little? Yeah. Yeah. I jumped in a clubhouse room recently and yes. let's just say <laughs> one of these things was not like the other because you could look at profile mm. pictures and not only was I the only white guy there, but I was the only dude in the room. And what's interesting is they brought me up on the stage immediately because they want my perspective. And I said, you know, I'm not even sure why I came in the room, but here's my thoughts and all. And they could be right or wrong. And they go, wow, we so appreciate your perspective. Hmm. That to me is what bothers me is that we are being shut down on communicating and talking and being mature. Yeah. And that word yes. nuance that I, I don't, I've never used that word. I'm going to use it more. Do I need to, do I need to write a check mm. and send it to you if I use that word? Yes. I will send you the contract. Okay. All yeah. right, good. I'll just let me know, get it to my people and I'll make sure every time I use the word, mm. we'll send a check your way. But um, thank you. <laughs> what else, Amy, as we we're sort of looking at winding this up, but I, I want to talk yeah. just briefly about about speaking in, in your book as we finish up, but what else sure. about the, the topic of words and the way we're communicating mm-hmm. in our culture and nuance and absolutes? Because I wrote down a bunch of words. I wrote conservative, liberal, Christian, progressive, racist, feminism, yeah. and then love is the last word I wrote. But what else? I'm just going to kind of let you share whatever's on your heart because this bugs me and annoys me. You know what bugs me and annoys me the most is that I don't know the answer. (laughs) Well, I don't either. So I don't know what you're expecting right now, but I will give you some thoughts on that. Okay. Well, I, when you say words matter, I immediately translate a bit to language matters. How we speak matters. Uh, You've read my website. So it makes me nervous because I came out really passionate about politics, which feels messy and arrogant. And yet here's my thoughts on that. So share that. Uh, So, but language matters, right? So even when I'm passionate, so I'm not saying that people who are opinionated have to temper. It's how you say what you say. This is like count marriage counseling, which I've been through plenty. And also what I teach in my day job, how you say what you say, matters. And so there's, I'm not sure if you're familiar with CBT, but uh, write about it a little bit in the book about our mental constructs are, what does he call them? I forget, but labeling, oh, they're just liberal snowflakes or mind reading. Oh, you're a feminist. You must mean you don't care about babies, right? So we label, we mind read, we catastrophize. If we elect so-and-so, to hell in a handbasket, we go, right? And so there's all these oh, uh, cognitive distortions is what it's called in the psychology world. And so what we say in the language we use about other people in these topics, it matters a lot. And one thing that I have really relied on that's tempered my language is leading with empathy and not defensiveness. So if Tim says, I'm, well, I won't use that example. If Missy says I'm pro-choice and I think, oh, that's hard for me to stomach. 
it just, it breaks my heart. I, I just, I, I don't know how to reconcile that. And, but here's Missy's background. She's anti-abortion and pro-choice. So there's nuance for you. I didn't know that existed until I met her. I can see where she's coming from with that. If I was her and I believed those things and thought those things and experienced what I have, I could get that. And you know what? She does the same for me. If I, if Amy believed that that is life in the womb, I can get why she will protect it at all costs and vote that way, even if it inhibits rights. So empathy tempers language when we see each other as human and not positions. So that has been a huge one for me. It's not the answer. I don't have it figured out, Tim, at all either. But language matters. How we speak of each other matters. How hot our words are matters. And empathy helps. Yeah. And and, and it seems as if we are, this is very generalizing, which is probably one of the things we need to be careful to do, is not generalize. Yeah, but that's but, right. I, but I'm going to do it. It seems as if there is a deficit of empathy, compassion, and, and, you know, I'll go spiritual here too. I think that there's an enemy that's feeding off of that and we're allowing it. The thing that bothers me politically, I don't like either one of the choices. I wish we had more, but what it, what I think it does is it goes to the absolute of there's kingdom of God and then there's not. And what we're doing is we're trying to make sense of all these things and not in the kingdom of God. And that's one of the things that's, I, I guess, grieves me is that I don't, my personality style, I'd love to know answers, but I, I don't. So anyway. The political arena drives me bonkers. There's, there's really no room for me in the nuanced thought that I have, yeah. but Power will always follow money. And right now the system is rigged where you throw your money to one side or the other and it keeps it a two-party system. Yep. So I've learned a lot about that. But what I will say is fundamentally in those little seeds I told you about of the shifting of how I see things, there was a moment where I felt, what is the role of a government in a country? And mm. for me, what I found was it is not to uphold a moral code. That happens in transformation and getting to know God, hmm. encountering the love of Jesus. And, and so is it the role of government to say who you can marry or not? Is it the role of government to say you should pray this prayer before class? Is it the role of government? And so I know people disagree on this. People I love dearly disagree on this. But mm -hmm. for me, I got less mad at politics when I, when I resolved that the hard, good work of transformation happens in relationships, not in the capital. Yeah. And that liberated me in being super duper angry. I'm just a little angry. <laughs> I'm a little angry. Mine is a little bit of a, I'm going to use a nuance that describes my belief system in that structure. And this is, you're talking to a guy that I was going to run for a house of representatives and things like that when I was younger. Thankful that I did not go down that path. Uh, very dogmatic, very right leaning and things like that. But I've, I've come to believe that that government should not be involved with any of that stuff. 
they they should not dictate. They should not determine. Ooh, marriage. that's a. Those are fighting words, Tim. I, I, those I, are fighting words. I know words. that, but but understand what I'm saying. I think that oh, government. I, do. I think government is trying to do too much. They're trying to be one. They're trying to be all things to all people. And so I'm more in that libertarian stance where I think government should be whacked in half and let's do a little start over. That will never happen. And and in our lifetimes, let's hope it doesn't because that means that our society is totally going to be reset. But I think government's trying to do way too much. They shouldn't be involved. There's other things they should be, they should be dealing with. Protect us. If we go to war, protect us. So anyway, some nuances yeah. there. But anyway, yeah. I think yeah, it's cool. Certainly. And I'm going to recommend people go check this out because you wrote a 2020 manifesto on the political climate. And the question it's I wrote. So good. In, it's the best thing I've created. The yeah, best thing. it was really cool. I read through it. I'm going to let people go get that on their own because of our time here. But and I'm also going to have them go check out uh, all the things you do in the business environment. But I think right now the thing I would love for you to talk about as we wrap up is how the book Signs of Hope came about. I know it's a lot of a viral thing and someone came to you, but, you know, to sit down and actually write something. I just finished writing a novel and you've got to there's got to be more to it than just someone offers you a, a few dollars or something like that. What was the real reason you wanted to write this? And then the secondary question, I'll go ahead and let you do this, is answer this is, what do you want people to take away when they read this book? Yeah, well, the book found me, I didn't find the book. I actually have a manuscript of a different book that I, it's a trade book about public speaking and all the myths and all the best practices. And that is almost done and that is not near published because this other book opportunity fell in my lap. So I remember writing a proposal for the book for publishers. My literary agent said, okay, I need this, I need that. And I sat there at the proposal going, I didn't such write this book. I don't know what this book is about and I'm pitching it to publishers and I don't know what it is. So very much not really a catalyst for the book even, it just came to me. And I, I told God at one point, this will make sense because of our topics we've discussed. God, my ego gets in the way. I will never pursue a stage. You'll have to bring the stage to me. And that's how I know that I'm not stroking my ego. And then comes a viral movement, then comes a book, then comes a TED talk invitation, then comes all sorts of things. And so the book really fell into my lap. Now I will say it was two years of writing what I've learned. It's walking through tragedy in my life and what gave me hope and what helped and didn't help. It's a collection of stories of other people encountering hope or not in their lives and what that has meant for them. It's a book full of nuance. So I think I hope people read it no matter what their belief system or political ideologies that they read it and everyone feels uncomfortable to assess the limits of their love. Where have I limited who I love and how I love them? And then I hope it's a feel good. I hope it's a, a call to action. When you read the news and you go through your news feeds and you think, good Lord, what is happening? What good could I really do? I hope after reading my book, you put it down and go something. I will do something, whether it's putting out a sign in my yard or sending a note to a person or making a donation or volunteering, whatever it is. And there's some really cool stories in the book of people choosing to do something and it became wildly awesome. But it never started out as a grandiose dream and mine didn't either, but we choose to do something. So I hope people feel empowered, challenged. I hope that if we read it in a moment of desperation, there's hope that we take off the page and find our own moments of sovereignty. 
and hopefully it is the spirit of God that works in this book. It is not faith forward. For some, it'll not feel like an oddly void book of spirituality and for others too much. Yeah. And I guess that's right where God has me in my life anyway, <laughs> is in the tension in the middle of the secular and the spiritual. And so this book is really accessible to anyone anywhere. Yeah, that's that's excellent. I love how we kind of started with that moments of sovereignty and you kind of mm -hmm. finished up that. Um, this has been such a beautiful conversation for me because one of the things I love to do is try to stretch myself and it stretches me more to communicate with people that are in that same process. And I think one of the thing that one of the things that bothers me the most is to see so many people that aren't attempting to stretch. And maybe they are. Maybe that's a nuance that I'm not aware of. But thank you, Amy. How can people connect with you? Where would you like for them to go? And we'll include it all in the notes, but let us know sure. verbally, audibly how they can get in touch with yeah. you. Yeah. Well, there's personal me and there's the movement and they feel kind of separate uh, and together at the same time. You can find me on socials at Amy N. Wolf. And also at my website, you can listen to other interviews and read my essays, my opinions, <laughs> my experiences in the world at amynwolf.com. On the movement side, everything's at Don't Give Up Signs on Instagram and Facebook and our website, don'tgiveupsigns.com. You can watch videos, read testimonies, and learn more about my book there and how, where to find the book. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to highly recommend and I, and I want a copy. So I need to make sure that I, I get, yes. get copies and everything. So, well, I could hear the blowers coming my way here in RV land. So it's <laughs> time to, it's time yeah. to go quickly. So my final question, you know what it is. I'm going to talk fast here. I do. Seek, go, create, Amy. Which one of those words jumps out at you over the other two and why? Yep. My knee jerk is go, 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 do, 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 go, go. And so when I thought about this question, the first thought I had was go seek the seeking. Mm -hmm. And the seeking is because I have found that when I stop and go slow and curious, that it is way more fruitful and deep and transformative. So because my knee jerk is go, what intrigued me about this question is leaning into the seek to wonder to question, to meditate. I've been reading the Bible slowly with no, no uh, goals, just through it slow, as slow as I want, not looking for application in my life, but to see the big picture and to wrestle with the craziness and that seeking in the open-handed, open-fisted, nothing trying to produce, not checking anything off my task list uh, has been so rewarding. So I would say seek. Excellent. Amy, thank you so much. It's been, it's been an honor for me to converse with you. And I knew that it would be fun when I was just kind of looking at all your information. And when somehow I think we got connected divinely, I consider that when we yeah. have guests. So thank you so much. If you've listened in, I encourage you to do a few things. Connect with Amy. She gave you the information and that's down in the notes if you're listening to this. And, and, and again, as we talked about at the beginning, continue the conversation on the socials. Find her on her socials. Find us on see, at Seek, Go, Create, Ask Questions. We'll even bring Amy back in if there's some questions you have or comments. And listen, I think you can tell that Amy and I are okay with debate. We're okay with discussion. We're okay with nuance, as she brought up. And I love that word. I love the thought of that. I just love the way that's progressing. So thank you again for joining us. The blowers are coming at me, so I'm going to end this but until next time every monday new episodes we'll have another cool guest next week 
Listen in, subscribe, and share. Continue being all that you were created to be.